Friends, at this time, I would like to share with you, as you see on the screen, uh, an appropriate Boxing Day message. Boxing Day. What a day. If this was maybe a Wednesday and it was maybe 15 years ago and you maybe lived in Edmonton, I know where you would be on Boxing Day. You would be elbow to elbow with tens of thousands of people in West Edmonton Mall. I think I was at West Edmonton Mall one Boxing Day. I seem to remember that I went there. I made the mistake of going to West Edmonton Mall on a Boxing Day and the crush of humanity looking for good deals on Boxing Day. Well, that type of old-fashioned mall shopping, looking for Boxing Day deals, it was sort of a victim of its own success. Then Boxing Day became Boxing Week, Boxing Month, uh, Black Friday. The It's kind of mean, meaningless anymore, those, those type of big sale events. We know that as far as retailers, Boxing Day was important because they tried to get rid of all the stock that didn't sell at Christmas time and they wanted to clear that out for the new year and get their bottom line looking better. The Boxing Day itself, it was more a tradition from the English-speaking world. As far as we can tell, Boxing Day traditions began back in England itself in the 1800s. In fact, we don't see that phrase, Boxing Day, uh, spoken of or writ entering into written history until about 1830. And there's a lot of different ideas, and Boxing Day meant different things to different people. Many people focused on Boxing Day to take gifts to the poor in their communities. The poor box, you see an example of a poor box in that top right-hand corner. The collection would be made for those who were not well off to bless them during the Christmas season. Maybe it meant the poor box. Well, we also know that people gave gifts to those who served them throughout the year. It was the tradition, for instance, if you had the postman, the milkman, other people who came back in the day, there was even the ice man would come through your neighborhood. All of those people, the day after Christmas, you would have an envelope rather than a box for them and give them a gratuity to thank them for their service throughout the year. I remember when our boys delivered newspapers years ago in Medicine Hat that often during the Christmas season, people would continue that tradition by giving the boys a gift at Christmas time. Well, the traditional Boxing Day was putting things in a box and taking them to the poor in your area. One of my favorite Boxing Day traditions from England was that those that were well-off, and that were a lot of people in the country, and they had servants, domestics. These people made their living serving large households, people who worked downstairs, people who worked with a family. If you were a fan years ago of the English television drama Downton Abbey, you know the interesting lives the domestic servants lived, as well as those who were well-off. Well, Boxing Day... After the big Christmas feast that the domestics had served, the tradition was to take all of those good leftovers from the feast, those rich foods that otherwise these people would never eat in their daily life, and you would box them up and send them home with the servants to bless their families. They would send leftovers home, and that was their gift to the people. Leftovers. Now, leftovers... Go back one slide, Lance. Go back. There's some good-looking leftovers there. I put that picture in. That's a sandwich made of a turkey dinner. Do you get all of that? Do you see the turkey and the dressing 
and then cranberries, little gravy on that. That's a, that's a sandwich fit for a king. That's leftovers at its finest. And this time of year, you know there are some amazing leftovers in the fridges of our church family right now. The next picture kind of displays that. There we are, leftovers. That's what a fridge looks like after Christmas oftentimes. A lot of leftovers. The interesting thing, though, is that leftovers, the phrase itself, is a modern invention. Until just the 20th century, there were no leftovers as you and I think about them. And we understand the, the, the reason for that. There was no refrigeration before the 20th century. Early in the last century, we had the proto-refrigerator, the ice box. I mentioned the ice man. Those are people who would, from the ice house, a great big warehouse full of ice, often cut off the surface of a river throughout the winter and stored, stuffed around it with straw to insulate it. And all summer, that ice would be broken into large chunks, taken to homes. People would put them in the container in their ice box, and it would cool it like refrigerated, and they could keep milk and perishables a little bit longer. But with the electrification of society and the invention of refrigerants and the ability to preserve food at a cooler temperature, and here's what a leftover is, it would preserve it in a form that it could be eaten at multiple meals somewhat approaching the form that it originally was served in. That was completely modern the way we did it. Prior to that, you can find old cookbooks that not only give you the recipe to cook a dish to make food, but the latter part of the recipe tells you what to do with the leftovers because they're not going to stay. They'll spoil so quickly. It would give you the recipe for canning, preserving, salting, or curing the leftovers. The leftovers generally were, as soon as possible, made into a different form of food altogether. For instance, the, the bread. The bread would go stale very quickly, but the leftover bread would be gathered together. Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000? What did they do? They gathered all the food up, all of the crumbs, all the fish, because that food was going to be reused as another form of food. The British, they love to take stale bread and then you would have pudding, not jello pudding like we're used to, bread pudding. You'd have another form altogether at a later meal. But we have leftovers. We can, and now with air fryers, you can put leftovers in there and they are as good and some people claim even better than they were originally. I know personal taste. If you have a delicious stew, that stew is often better the next day or the day after that. Curries and other foods like that, the seasoning melds and, and gets even stronger and better as the days go by. And it's all because of refrigeration, leftovers, microwaves. We're built around leftovers. But leftovers, when it comes to Scripture and our relationship with God, it's a very different thing leftovers in our lives serving leftovers that's what i've called the message today sometimes leftovers as good as they can be after a wonderful christmas for those people i'm thinking especially of people 
The kids are up and out of the house. It's an empty nest, but maybe mom makes the same meal she made when there was a table full of people. And then mom and dad eat leftovers multiple days. Or perhaps a person has lost their spouse and now they have that incredibly difficult challenge to cook for a single person. It's discouraging. You don't want to eat the same thing ten meals in a row. Oftentimes the perfect leftovers, you can take them in your lunch the next day to work or school and be done with them. But it's difficult for some people. It's discouraging. And nobody wants leftovers, the same worn out thing again and again and again. Serving leftovers. Scripture says throughout it that God is about that which is fresh and new. That with God, nothing grows old, wears out, spoils. I believe in the Garden Eden that we see a perfect existence. We didn't have spoilage. We didn't have stagnation. I think it was made to be perfect. And oftentimes, in our relationship with God, He desires for us to have that freshness and that newness as part of our walk with Him. Our relationship stays fresh and new and joyful and encouraging day by day. It doesn't grow out. Your relationship with God shouldn't become stale like a couple that they've lived together decades. And no longer is the love fresh and new. They just sort of put up with one another. They just get along. But sometimes I know our relationship with God resembles that more than what it should. In fact, Scripture tells us to remember our first love. Remember the heights from which we have fallen from that first love, that passionate love for God into the doldrums of where you live with God today. Remember it and go back to that. God doesn't want you serving leftovers in your relationship with Him. Just a couple Old Testament reminders of those things that speak of the God doesn't serve leftovers. God didn't serve leftovers to the children of Israel as they wandered the desert. The manna is the ultimate biblical example of God providing something fresh and new for us every day. Remember back in Exodus 16, that crowd of escapees from Egypt get into the desert they were whining and crying about the food they left behind. God fed them with quail. No, that wasn't going to keep them. So God gave them the miracle of manna. In the explanation of the first time they saw manna, and I love the name manna, it basically means in Hebrew, what is that? They didn't know it. They'd never seen that type of food before. Verse 14 of Exodus 16, When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? There's the word manna, first appears. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, that's a measurement. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little 
did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as they needed. When Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. It, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. They tried to keep leftovers. This manna was amazing. Oh, they may have complained later because they had it every day. But it was the perfect food from God. The perfect food. And you imagine, it must have been incredible to taste. It must have been amazing food. But some of them liked it so much, they kept some till the next day. But God said, no leftovers. Manna was designed not to be kept the next day, but to be gathered every day as God gave them fresh bread, manna, every day. So, manna is an example of God not serving leftovers. A second point is connected to the manna, and that is the concept of daily bread. Jesus teaching his disciples to trust God daily for their spiritual diet as well as their physical sustenance, daily bread. I read Jesus' example prayer to the disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Part of that prayer was that trusting prayer that God would provide every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's not just physical bread. We understand that God wants to, to feed your heart as well. That's why I love the fact that Day of Discovery, their devotional booklet used by many of you, is called Our Daily Bread. Our daily feeding on God's Word. Now, like many of you, I have the physical one, but I also have the app on my phone. The app is way better. It will read it to you out loud if you are visually impaired. And it always has a going deeper section which tells you the background of that day's uh, devotional. And part that I like, if I've been doing something else or using something else for my morning devotional thought and reading, if I haven't used that app for a few days, as soon as you push the button and start it up, it says, I notice, I notice you've missed a few days. Would you like me to set a notification to remind you for your daily devotionals? You know, that's wonderful. It's kind of a pest. I say, yeah, yeah, kind of felt guilty. Yeah, I may have took a couple days off. But it reminds you of that. And we need reminding of that. What reminds you that you forgot to physically eat? Well, you get hungry. Oh, you get hungry. You, you just, oh, I'm so hungry. I, 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 I I need food. But what's the reminder that you haven't been eating spiritually? That you've been neglecting God's Word? That spiritual hunger, do you feel that? If any of you have ever undertaken the spiritual discipline of fasting, you realize that physical hunger with fasting is only temporary. It only lasts a fairly short time. And then your body turns off that sensation of hunger and you don't notice it anymore. Neglecting God's Word is like that. You may miss it for a little bit, but 
pretty soon you click right back in your old ways. And you go your own way. Well, if you fast, you're not physically hungry anymore, but you become physically weak. Your immune system drops. And those who have been in the house with somebody who fasts know that they become irritable, short-tempered, not great to be around. I think that speaks to us of people who neglect their spiritual needs as well. We become weak. We become irritable. We're not very nice to be around sometime. Give us this day our daily bread. God doesn't feed up or feed us leftovers. God gives us something fresh and new from His Word every day. You will never come to the end of the benefit of reading God's Word, the Bible. You cannot do it because it's the Word of the living God. The final example from Scripture, of course, is God doesn't serve leftovers because God gives us living water. Oh, you can go weeks without food, but you will die after just days, a few days without water. You need water. Living water. Jeremiah, speaking of Israel breaking their covenant relationship with God, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, he says there's an amazing thing. I'm going to start reading a little earlier than what we have up on the screen. I'm going to start up in verse 11. It sets the stage for what Jeremiah says. He asks the question, has any nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. He's talking about idols, he says. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That living water is the spiritual life. Remember where Israel's located, and God did that on purpose. It is in an arid part of the world where water equates to life. Living water is always the spiritual life God gives us. It's His Spirit living within. That's the living water that feeds us and keeps us alive. It's like a spring bubbling up within us. Jesus Himself used that same example of living water when He met the woman at the well. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'll just read it off the screen. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers something fresh and new. Not water that is stagnant. Living water from heaven. Imagine the rainwater. There's no more perfect, beautiful, pure water than rainwater. But those of you who ever watered your plants with rain barrels know that an empty rain barrel filled with that beautiful, fresh rain from clouds, very few days, it's not fit for consumption. 
It's the home of mosquito larvae and algae and a bacterial growth that turns it into a horrible stagnant soup. God's life isn't that way. It's fresh. It's like a spring bubbling up. When I was a boy, for a few years we lived in a house near the Arkansas River and at the foot of the hill was a spring. And that spring produced the best drinking water. We had spring water. Spring water. Well water can be good, but spring water is the best. It was cold and fresh. It was amazing water. I often think of that spring water when I read what Jesus said. This water you'll never thirst. It'll be a spring of living water bubbling up within you. So Scripture says again and again, God doesn't serve leftovers. And friends, when you follow Jesus as your Savior, your life in Christ is a life without leftovers. It's not about coasting along on something that happened in your life, an experience you had with God years ago. Maybe at Bible camp. And then you just kind of limp along with memories of that great thing all those years ago. God wants to continually do something fresh and new in our lives. One of the new things we have is a new outlook on life. It's a new approach. It's a new attitude. Ephesians chapter 4 says in verse 21 and following, Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Don't feed on who you were the old attitudes and actions, a sinful, deceitful way of life that we had before we knew Jesus. Put on the new self, a new attitude, a new outlook, a new mind, a mind that God gives you, a mind of understanding, a mind that knows His Word, a mind that relates to Him and follows Him in our lives. A new mind that's an amazing thing. I remember fondly, we used to have our leadership team meetings years ago at Cliff and Gloria's house. But we didn't have them in the afternoon. We didn't have them in the middle of the day. We had them early in the day. And one of the great blessings was that Gloria would make us a wonderful breakfast. And we would sit around and enjoy that meal and just, uh, just trust God for the direction of the church. And I remember we'd always stop by the kitchen on the way down and thank Gloria on the way out and thank her for the wonderful blessing of hospitality that she'd given us. And on the wall in Cliff and Gloria's kitchen was a little plaque that had a scripture from Lamentations. Most of us don't have a lot of scriptures from the book of Lamentations on our house. But it's a beautiful passage. Lamentations chapter 3. I have it from the English Standard Version. I like this version. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. God's mercies never cease. They are new each morning. 
The book of Lamentations was written in a difficult time in the life of the people of Israel. It was a book that reflects the pain and the, the difficulties and the uncertainties that they lived in. This was a time of captivity and conquest. The people were being defeated. And yet, for those who trusted God, His grace and mercy, His promises were new every day. God gives you the strength every day. Now, especially during the Christmas season, many of you know you just get close to the bed at the end of the day and you fall into bed. You're so exhausted. But think about it. At the end of the day, God gave you enough. His grace and His mercy, His promises, they got you through today. But today's help isn't enough for tomorrow. Jesus said, trust God. Tomorrow has problems of its own. Trust Him for today. Because God's promises, as well as the challenges we face, God's mercy and grace are new every day. God doesn't want you coasting along and then running into problems on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and trying to think back of what He taught you on Sunday. He wants you to trust Him on those days and find your grace and help on those days. Not try to live by leftovers. His mercy is new every day. And one reason for that, as I mentioned, you never come to the end of God's Word. It is true spiritual food. As First Peter, we read Peter speaking of God's Word. In First Peter 1, he quotes the Old Testament. Peter says, For you have been born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of our Lord, the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. God's Word lasts. It stays fresh. It stays nutritious, spiritually, and powerful in our lives. God's Word lasts. And you know, those who trust God's Word, those are people who last as well. Now throughout the Christmas season, I had almost half a dozen services I've done this week, many of them with seniors in care homes. It's difficult because there's not a lot of volunteers. There's not a lot of us to go around to do the ministry in those homes and the restrictions to even get in there with those of our community who are up in years. But I wouldn't miss it. I love it because there's nothing like a senior believer. Those are people who have experience with God. They know that God's mercies and His strength were new and fresh and He got them through those difficult years. Some of them told me about the, the 30s, the depression, the great wars, World War II, those catastrophes. The difficult times after that, God was faithful through every one of them. Physically, They've aged. They've weakened. They're failing. But spiritually, they're alive. Add to that spiritual life experience with God and you have people that you want to spend time with. Psalm 92 speaks of righteous, the godly people of God, how they flourish in their old age. It says in verse 12 of Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. 
They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in Him. There's nothing like the testimony of a senior saint that speaks of the reality of God's work in our lives throughout our lives. Well, friends, we're told that we can be fresh and green and bearing fruit, spiritual fruit, even in our senior years because God wants daily renewal. Not spiritual leftovers, daily renewal. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 of that daily renewal. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Physically, we grow old. We die. We're wasting away. But inwardly, spiritually, we're renewed day by day. Daily bread. Living water. This is the diet that keeps us fresh and new and living. Well, we could stop right there, but I want to finish with one question. Personalize this. Ask yourself, do I give God my leftovers. Do I give God my leftovers? You are busy people. I don't believe there's ever been a busier generation. We always thought that technology and everything else that goes with it would give us more free time. That in the future, robots would do all of our work and we'd all become musicians and painters and philosophers. Oh no. Oh no. It steals our time. It steals it. We're busier than we've ever been. And God, it seems, in our lives, often He gives us fresh and living and new. But we just give Him what's left over, if anything at all. Leftovers, as I think about them, they come in different shapes and sizes. Think about you visit somebody. Most of us would not give somebody leftovers unless they were there at the original meal. We did that just yesterday. Christmas Eve, we had a wonderful turkey feast. So at lunch yesterday, out comes the leftovers, and everybody in the house who enjoyed that meal the day before enjoyed it again with leftovers. It was wonderful. You're a little less reluctant. You're a little less likely to give somebody those leftovers if they weren't there for the first meal. You say, ah, oh, that's not good etiquette. That's not good form. But the worst leftovers of all, think about those poor people that maybe they work in a place where there's no minimum wage that's anywhere approaching something that you can get by on. And maybe they work as a, a busboy in a restaurant. And the food left on those plates, they're supposed to take it to the restaurant, the back of the restaurant, throw it away. But it doesn't make it to the garbage bin. They eat from that. We think how awful that would be. 
Think about that. What would be the worst leftover? To come along and something that should be yours, your sandwich, it arrives at your table. Maybe it's a restaurant and you order it. Oh, I want a, my favorite sandwich, a Reuben. Uh, corned beef, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, rye bread. Perfect sandwich. Those are going to be in heaven someday. I'm convinced of it. My Reuben comes perfectly done to my table. But there's a bite taken out of it. Can you imagine? Now imagine from God's perspective. What does He want from you? He gives you the best. He gives you fresh. And the Bible also teaches first fruits. That the first and best of everything should go to God. Showing that we trust Him for all the rest. He gets the first. We often only use that when it comes to giving or tithing. Because friends, you know the reality of that. If you say, well, I'll just see what I need for myself for the month, and at the end of the month, whatever's left over, I'll give that to God. <laughs> There's never anything left over if we take that approach. But we find if we put God first in our giving, that there's always more than enough the rest of the month. Strange, isn't that? But when it comes to God, here, Lord, is my life. But before I give it to you, well, you know, we're so busy with the kids in school and, well, we'll just take a bite out of that part of my life. Oh, here's, well, no, you know, Lord, I, I really, I really like golf and I want to spend a lot more time getting my game in just the right spaces. That, that takes a bite out of it. And another and another and everything in your life takes a bite out of that. And by the time you set it before the Lord, Sometimes it's just crumbs. Sometimes you've licked your finger and picked up the crumbs and there's nothing left for God. Does God even get leftovers in my life? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. He puts it in context. Those things that could steal away from our trust and our time with God that we worry about. Man, I, I don't have time for God. I gotta get to work. We I gotta provide for myself and my family and, and we become workaholics, which tells God we don't trust him to take care of us or our family. Jesus prefaces this by saying, Don't worry about so don't worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God is telling you to put Him first. That the leftovers in your life after you've spent time with God that's what your life really needs. After you have spent time in His presence at the start of your day, your attitude, your actions, your deeds, your outlook, your heart will all be what it needs to be to face the problems, the troubles, and the challenges and the blessings of a day. You'll see blessings with a different eye. You'll give thanks to God for them throughout the day. But you need to start out on the right foot. 
And that's why it's wonderful to think back on what God's done at the end of the day and maybe quiet your heart and mind with a reading from His Word. But that doesn't replace the start of your day. Many of us hit the ground running and we just don't have time. We don't have time, we think. But I believe we do. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. The psalmist says, In the morning, O Lord, You hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before You and wait in expectation. Jesus took that seriously. Jesus Himself. Mark 1.35 Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. If Jesus needed to start His busy day by spending time in prayer with His Father, we need to spend time in God's Word and in relationship through prayer with our Heavenly Father to set the course for the whole day. Not giving God whatever is left over, but giving ourselves to Him fresh and new every day. Well, there's a little encouragement to focus once again, as we always do at the beginning of the year. I'm going to start a Bible reading plan through the Bible in a year. Those are great. But oftentimes, if you miss a couple days, you get discouraged, you feel you've fallen behind, and you give up altogether. Read God's Word systematically. But it's not a race. The importance is to do it regularly, if possible, every day. And in that day, it's best early on, at the beginning. So make that something that you want to do today and going forward in this new year. Leftovers. Some areas of life, they're great. We love them. But when it comes to God, don't give God your leftovers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for the holiday season. Lord, I thank You for the love we're able to share as we reflect Your great love that gave us Jesus at Christmas time. Lord, may we be a gift to those around us throughout the year. Lord, when we are living our lives, physically we may be okay, but spiritually our diet may be bad. We may be starving. We may be beyond hunger. We, we don't even feel the need for Your Word anymore. But spiritually, we're weak. Spiritually, we're not who are we need to be. Lord, we want to have a good diet this year in Your Word. For it is true bread, our daily bread, the bread of life. Father, may we put You first, and in doing that, be the people that You want us to be in this hurting world. You bless us so, so that we can be a blessing to others. This is our desire and prayer. And we ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you today.